Ladies and gentlemen, attention everyone. Welcome to No Picks After Dark. It's your boy Nick Burke, and you are now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world with Aaron Dante, giving you the hottest interviews with the dopest people, sharing their experiences from your neighborhood all around to the world. Voted Best Baltimore Podcast by you, the listeners. Now, your host, Aaron Dante. Yo, Aaron, talk to him. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have an amazing show for you. We have comedian Ivan Martin. We have Ms. Natasha Axelrod, lawyer, legal expert. And we have Mr. Trevor White from VBS, Texan County. And for the main guest will be Kane Collective. Can't wait for you guys to listen to that. Now, we're starting to show off with Mr. Ivan Martin. What's going on, Mr. Ivan Martin? Good morning, beautiful and lovely people. Good afternoon, beautiful and lovely people. And good night. Beautiful and lovely people. How you doing, Aaron, baby? I'm doing great, brother. I'm doing great. How you- That's what's up, man. Once again, congratulations on crossing that 100 mark episode. I know we got another 100 to go, man. So let's just keep it going, man. Thank you again, brother. Hey, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate you. I wanted to first get into it thanking the city of Baltimore for getting our COVID cases down. All right. Nice hand clap for all of you all out there wearing your mask. But let me remind you and do not get too comfortable. I am not going to none of these locations raw. You will see a condom over my face at all times. I'm sorry. You will see a mask (laughs) over my face at all times. Don't be coming up to me when you see me in the grocery store, walking across the street or something like that. I don't care how many vaccinations you got. When you see me in the grocery store or something like that, if you don't got no mask on your face, we don't need to be standing in the same place. Okay? Don't forget that. National news. What else we got going on? Can you believe Texas? Texas got two inches of snow and they're going to shut down the whole entire state at 47 degrees. What they, what's going on? You know what? Shots out to my homeboy in New York. My man, Reg Thomas. We was talking and Reg said, man, if it was 47 degrees in New York City right now, the icy man would be out selling snow cones. <laughs> you know? It's just out of hand, like out of hand. But for once, I felt very, very like, uh, what's the word? Validated as a paying customer to BGE because they said the electricity prices have soared 10,000 percent in Texas. It don't even got to be that cold. And my my light bill is ten thousand dollars from BGE. So I don't know. Like, this is just normal for me. And. Those of you all out there that want to check out an outstanding movie for this month, Black History Month, once again, thank you, Dante, for putting on and having a great outstanding lineup for Black History Month. But when you all have a chance, go check out my new movie that's out, Judah and the Messiah, okay? Judas and the Messiah, great movie about Fred Hampton of the Black Panthers and his entire legacy, man. Be sure to check that out. You'll see me all throughout the movie. That's an inside joke. You'll get it when you watch it. Thank you, lovely people, and I'll see you soon, man. As usual, no picks out the dark. Love you. Love you. Peace. All right, folks, and we'll be right back after these messages. Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, fire and rice. For more information on booking or purchasing gift cards, 
visit their website at indowellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harper Road, Suite 1. Welcome back to the No Picks of the Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. And today we have Ms. Natasha Axelrod, our legal expert, our legal contributor to the show. How are you doing, Ms. Natasha? Doing great, Aaron. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What jewels and gems are you going to drop for us for Black History Month here? All right. Well, today we're going to talk about redlining. Baltimore played a kind of big role in this. Um, actually, Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott recently tweeted out that, um, I know Brandon was a guest not too long ago, Mayor Mayor Scott now, um, he recently spoke out about Baltimore being the birthplace of redlining. And this is, you know, in 1910, Baltimore passed a residential segregation ordinance. This is the first city in the United States to do so. But of course, other cities followed suit. And it basically forbid white people and black people from living on the same block as each other. Uh, and then in 1917, the United States Supreme Court found a similar law, it was actually a Kentucky law, to be unconstitutional. So this meant that the Baltimore housing segregation law was then unconstitutional, but that really didn't mean anything because segregation, of course, continued. Fast forward to the 1930s and as part of the New Deal and housing loan programs were created to help Americans who were in really tough places as a result of the Great Depression. Part of this was the creation of what's called the Homeowners Loan Corporation. This is a government-sponsored corporation, and it was supposed to assist homeowners who were in default on their mortgages and in foreclosure. So this was really emergency help. But this also sets the stage for the passage of another law called the National Housing Act of 1934, which creates the Federal Housing Administration in order to provide federal backing of loans. Loans. And the purpose of all of this really is to help people keep their homes and buy houses. And government insured mortgages provide stability to the housing market. And this seemed like all a really great idea. People were really hurting and this seemed like a good idea. Well, the Federal Housing Administration has this, what's called the underwriting handbook. And it was like standards for guidelines for lenders to use. And this handbook was to put it mildly, extremely racist. And a lot of the FHA's policies were racist. For instance, it included such offensive language as, quote, if a neighborhood is to retain stability, it is necessary that property shall continue to be occupied by the same social and racial classes. A change in social or racial occupancy generally leads to instability and a reduction of values, end quote. So then in 1935, this homeowners loan corporation starts what's called the city survey program. And this is where assessors went and they assessed neighborhoods, a number of neighborhoods in the United States for lending risk and what areas would be really smart to lend to and where you shouldn't lend. What happened was they created these residential security maps to determine this lending risk. And this is where lines were literally drawn around neighborhoods, including red for those neighborhoods that were identified as hazardous. And that's a direct, that's actually what they were called, hazardous. And this was not a place to issue loans to. Uh, not a coincidence that in these neighborhoods was where the majority um, majority of people were either African-American or other minorities. So basically they were denied loans. It was very, very difficult. They were denied loans. And um, they said, you know, oh, it's based on a higher likelihood that these people would default on a loan, but there was no 
data to be, to back that up for for a lot of these cases. And so this was just plain systematic racism. And there's a lot of different thoughts from historians actually on how these maps that were created were actually used. And one theory is that the HOLC truly started the practice of redlining in these areas um, with these creation of these maps. But another argument is that this practice of redlining was really already in place. And as we know, segregation was already in place and it was really the law of the land in the South and de facto segregation in the North. And the maps were then really just documenting what was already happening. And then others try to argue that, oh, well, you can't really tell that the lenders were discriminating, but I think that's a pretty easy one to, to, to knock down because there's at least one analysis that says that from 1934 to 1968, 98% of home loans were given to white applicants. And then of course, there's other evidence of discrimination everywhere. Segregation was occurring in many contexts and it was the law in, in a lot of places in the South, for instance. And so this is systematic racism and developers and home builders had discriminatory policies and practices as well. And all this is really sanctioned by the federal government. Hmm. And the significance of owning a home, of course, is it's not just a place to live, it helps build wealth. So this is all part of the greater umbrella of the issue of economic and racial justice. And so those who are being denied opportunities to buy homes are being denied opportunities to build wealth. So neighborhoods are obviously segregated and continue to be segregated as a result of all of this discrimination in housing that's occurring. And of course, this also doesn't just affect housing, it affects education and other opportunities. And so we're going to get into part two next week about what was eventually done about this and, and how that really didn't pan out with the Fair Housing Act of 1968. Mm, she dropped some jewels, folks. She is dropping some jewels for y'all. Redlining. If you don't know about it, better go research it. Understand it. She's telling you right now. This is this is why it was. I mean, redlining still, in some ways, still has this ugly redhead. I guess whatever you want to call it around. Certain yep. Certain towns that we live in now still have low property value. It never returned. Yep. That's absolutely the case. So. I want you to look, when we come back to part two, look around, where, look, where, look where you live. Look around neighborhoods to have same looking house like you have. Why is their property cheaper? Why is their property less than your, their property, your property? Or why is your property higher than their property? Same house, same, same square footage. Yep. There, so there you go. Understand why. And then look at demographics, where these people live. Understand why. Yep. The legacy is still there and this discrimination is still happening. It's just redlining is supposed to be illegal, but. Hey, now she dropped. That's part one, folks. That's part one. All right. Where can we find you? Mr. Natasha Axe, we're out on social media. You can find me on Instagram at, at it's always weird to say at, at. You can mm -hmm. find me on Instagram. My handle is at Natasha underscore Axelrod. And, uh, YouTube, YouTube, the legal blonde. All right, folks, she'll be back talking about part two. We at, we'll, be, we'll be right back after these messages. This portion of the episode is sponsored by Maggie's Farm, located at 4341 Harvard Road. Celebrate Valentine's Day at Maggie's Farm, featuring a three-course prefix menu for $55. 
offering a unique menu for the special day that will include an amazing steak option, rockfish, handcraft cocktails, and many more delectable choices. Wine pairings for each course are available for just $20 more. Make this Valentine's Day unforgettable with Maggie's Farm Dining Experience. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and serving brunch Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. I'm doing all right. I can't complain. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring to the table today is the third stimulus checks that's being negotiated in Congress right now and the necessity for people to get their tax returns done as soon as possible. Um, I know that tax season just started um, last Friday, February 15th, but call up your tax preparer and get scheduled an appointment or go online, TurboTax, hnrblock.com and, and start your tax return process. Why am I saying that? If you were affected by COVID, economically in 2020, you want that to be reflected when the IRS makes a decision on, or when Congress makes a decision on who is gonna get the next stimulus payment. They already started saying that they're gonna lower the income limits to 100,000 for married couples, 50,000 for individuals, down from where it was 75 and 150 for individuals and married couples. So why is that important? That income, was based off of your 2019 return because that's all they had. So if you were over that threshold in 2019, but because you were negatively impacted by COVID in 2020, but the IRS doesn't have that information, the next COVID stimulus payments are going to be issued off of your 2019 return if your 2020 return isn't done. So not everyone needs to go out and rush and get their taxes done, but if your income significantly dropped in 2020, then you need to file a tax return because if they push out these stimulus payments in mid-March, as expected, you want to be able to get one of those stimulus payments. You don't want to miss the threshold. Wow. Okay. So I got two questions for you, two of them. What if you guys had taken a pay cut this year because of everything was going on? Everything was going on. You lost a little bit of money. That could affect that. That's one. The second question is, are you looking at your, your salary or are you looking at what you made gross coming into your house? Like, not your salary, but like what you brought home. What they're looking at so so they're looking at your AGI, which is your gross. Um, uh, 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 they're looking at your AGI in the tax return. Okay. All right. They want to know what what's that number. Okay. And if that number is under one fifty, then you're going to qualify. All right. If that for a married couple, if that number is under seventy five thousand for an individual. All right, then you're going to qualify. And they pull those numbers off of your tax return. 
But if they don't have a tax return for 2019, for 2020, then they're going to use the 2019 tax return. Mm. So yes, if you were impacted in 20 and your salary got reduced, but you haven't filed a tax return, then the IRS has nothing to go off. Mm, folks. Adjusted gross income. Jeez. There's a, you get a lot of people took pay cuts this year. A lot of people took pay cuts. That, y'all, that, I want to repeat that. I mean, just say it one more time before we get off, because a lot of people took pay cuts this year. So, folks, you heard what he said. We're not telling you to rush, but you might want to get it done a little bit earlier. You might want to get, is it, am, I, am I speaking right about that? No, you're speaking right. You want to go out. If they issue these uh, stimulus payments in mid-March and they lower the income threshold for who qualifies to get the stimulus payment, and now you qualify based on 2020 versus 2019, but they don't have a 2020 tax return for you, they're going to use the information from 2019. If you had a child in 2020 and you're due a stimulus for that child, you also want to file a tax return so they have that information. Because if they don't have that information, guess when you're going to get the true up? When you do your 2020 tax returns next January so or next February depending on when things start up again. So you want to get the proper information in that when you have the time so that when that stimulus payment comes out, you can make sure you meet the thresholds and all the qualifications. Man. I'm just going to put the mic down right now. Where, where, can, we, where, where can we find you on social media? Because I'm just going to let social you... Social media, no TikTok, only IG, Pro on IG, or you can hit me on my website, bbstax.com. You can email me at uh, twhite at bbsaccounting.com, or you can also um, come to my office, 6004 Liberty Road. Folks, he just dropped too much knowledge. Too much knowledge today, boy. Y'all better go, y'all better go book y'all appointments today, tomorrow. Don't so wait. Support this brother. He's, he's giving y'all so much knowledge right here. Free. Free, but I mean, once you get in, it's going to cost. So I'm just letting you know. <laughs> it's all right. All right, folks. We'll see you next time, next week. We'll be right back after these messages. This portion of the episode is sponsored by Found Studio Shop. Looking for unique gifts curated by an artist? Shop online at foundstudioshop.com and explore a delightful selection of gifts for Valentine's Day. Handmade jewelry, ceramics, cards, and more. Or pamper yourself or your loved ones with candles, gift boxes, and locally made bath and body products. All of this and more is available for shipping or local pickup at Red Canoe in Northeast Baltimore. Browse whenever the mood strikes at foundstudioshop.com. Welcome, folks, back to No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. And, you know, I'm so excited to have these guests on my show. These guys are harder to catch up with than like who playing Roger Rabbit, trying to figure it out that mystery. And, and <laughs> these guys is like, where's Waldo looking on the box? <clears throat> but that, <laughs> everywhere. I mean, I've been trying to get interviewed. I've been knocking down their doors. I've been stalking them in the Fellas Point Fest. I mean, at the, at the market. Like, man, I got to get you on the show. You guys, your brothers are doing some magnificent things out here. And I want to celebrate celebrating Black History Month. And I want to celebrate these brothers out here. We're doing big things in Baltimore, okay? You know, and, and everywhere I see, God, you got to get their mixers. You got to get their mixers. Oh, I go to people's houses, they have them. 
Like, damn. They did do, they do some work out here. <laughs> so, and I'm really proud to call them my brothers and what they're doing out here is for the culture and just they are just crushing it out here and they are doing it for the culture like I said without further ado Mr. Aaron Joseph and Ezra Allen to do, welcome them to the No Pixel Dark show what's up fellas how y'all feeling today hey, doing man. Well. what's going on very well very well thank you very much for having us on the show I know it's been a long time coming and I appreciate your patience man and you are very very relentless and I appreciate that brother very much so so. Hey, brothers, you know, I, I wanted, I, I, you know, I first heard when you guys were in another interview, I talked to you guys about this, and I was like, all right, that was a cool interview, but I'm about to rock, I'm about to rock this interview and really make it happen. And, uh, you know, that was cool, but are we going to really ask the questions from people behind the curtain of the King Collective and find out what really goes on? No, I was going to say that the first interview was great, and we, we appreciate the opportunity to be in this one, but, I mean, I think a lot has happened since that latest interview, so it's kind of nice to, like, have a 2.0 coming and uh, very, very excited to be on this uh, wonderful, wonderful podcast, man. You're killing it with your, your podcast game. Man. I'm trying to, so. y'all, 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 you guys are in the streets. I see your name all over the town. So <laughs> I see people having tequila showing tequila shots and your stuff in the background on Instagram. I'm like, man, they everywhere. They everywhere, but I love it though. So tell us a couple sentences about Game Collective. What is it? Where is it from? Where's the name come from? Tell the audience about you guys. I'll be sure. All right, well, I guess I'll go. <laughs> so uh, Kane Collective, we started off as a couple guys that love rum, really, to be honest with you. Um, all of us were in the business. Um, and uh, it's myself, uh, uh, Ezra Allen, uh, Aaron Joseph, and Clinton Jackson, who's three partners of ours. Um, and uh, we were like, yeah, we should do something together um, about around the culture of rum in particular. And we're like, all right, bet. What do we call ourselves? I don't know. So one week, two weeks, three weeks, like, what the heck are we going to call ourselves? It was like, uh, Kane. And then it was like an acronym, CJ, Aaron, and Ezra. I was like, oh. And it was about rum. It was very on brand. So that was a vision. We first set off. We wanted to create, um, tell like basically the story of rum and create excitement around that uh, through special events, tastings, um, and a lot of... Um, I guess, work for brands, helping them kind of better connect, I guess, with uh, the consumer base. And that was a vision. So we started off doing that. And, uh, it's, you know, we did a little bit of rum, but then, um, you know, we had friends in agave and then we had friends in uh, bourbon and we had friends in rye and then, and then we had friends with cognac. And their brands were like, hey, do you want to do this for us? We're like, sure. And they're like, hey, do you want to do that for us? We're like, sure. So before you knew it, we were a, I guess, a boutique experiential marketing firm um, who just happened to love rum and trying to like fight our way back to it. So uh, rum brands, if you're out there, um, we're here. Um, and then we're doing well. So uh, special events, pop-ups, um, fractional brand work. And then uh, this pandemic hit and it just kind of wiped out all of 2020. So 2020... 2019 is like, yeah, 2019's all right, but 2020 is going to be amazing. And then it wasn't amazing um, <laughs> as it was for the rest of the world. So uh, Kane Mixtures was a product um, that we thought about for actually a couple of years. We're like, man, how do we can cocktails? And uh, we had an abundance of time on our hands. 
uh, like most of us, a lot of time to sit and reflect and think. It's like, yeah, let's just do it. Start off as a fundraiser. And uh, one bottle led to a case, led to a couple cases, led to a couple dozen cases. And uh, here we are six, nine months later, you know, kind of rocking and rolling. Thank you so much. That, that, that's good. I like that breakdown. So tell the audience about you guys. Are you guys originally from Baltimore? That's the first question. Are you guys were you raised here or where are you guys from originally? Aaron, I'm going to let um, you lead on that one. I think I have. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have a, a longer, longer story than Ezra. Um, I am I am not from Baltimore uh, originally. I was born 45 minutes uh, away uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, but my parents were military, so we moved around a little bit when I was younger. And I, I happened to spend majority of my youth in Hawaii, uh, roughly 12 years, finished up high school in San Antonio, Texas, went to college in Kansas, and then came back to the East Coast. And that's when I kind of found my love for hospitality. So um, my past kind of a little bit jumped around. Um, but for me, it was a great, great um foundation for an appreciation of culture, people as individuals, and also uh, perspective. So from that foundation, I left in the hospitality in St. Michael's, Maryland in 2000, and have been in industry ever since. So um, I started off as a, a busboy, back runner, food prep, and then kind of just worked my way up. And then I um, I was the annoying 20-year-old kid that was haggling the bartenders to teach them how to bartend. And eventually they taught me how to bartend and they realized they needed an extra hand on set for them to go on vacation. So I was kind of like the fill-in and I loved the communication. And mainly, and to be honest with you, I love the aspect of like the way people treated bartenders as opposed to the way they treated servers. Like when you are a server, it's like you, you're there, but you're not really there. You're like, uh, you're only good to drop my food, pill, like fill my wine and give me a quick recommendation. Other than that, please be gone. Out of sight, out of mind. But when you're the bartender and you control the alcohol, you control the food, you control the tempo, Basically, you're a choreographer for the setting. And uh, I really love that, uh, that aspect of bartending. And then I got into the craftsmanship of it. And then I've been behind the bar ever since. So nice, nice. that's the short version. No, no, that's, that's what's Hawaii originally. And you were a military kid. So that's something new for the audience, definitely. Ezra? Got it. Uh, born and raised in New York City. Moved down here. A long time ago now, <laughs> some around, sometime around uh, 2000. Um, Baltimore was good to me and, you know, made it my home. So I'm, uh, I mean, that's it really. So I don't know. It's weird. It's funny saying like, yeah, I'm from New York City, but I am. But I've been here a long time too. So uh, definitely want to uh, love the city that loves you back. You know, I'm going to ask you the question now. You should, I'm gonna, I, it's not on the script right now. <laughs> Shoot. Are you a Yankees or Orioles fan? Oh, you always got to root for the home team, my friend. You always got to root for the home team. I had to go Yankees. Yankees. I had to ask the question. Are you from New York? So I had to ask the question. <laughs> All right. So it's, it's funny because he'll root for the Orioles, but I'm a I'm a diehard <laughs> Yankees fan. So 
So how did you guys meet each other? Like, how did this connection happen? Like, I mean, you're from. That's funny. <laughs> like, I'm trying to, you know, I'm laying out the brick, the, putting the bricks down for the house so we can understand the whole picture, everything. We wanted to build a house. And how did you guys meet? I mean, it sounds crazy to me. Like, he's coming in from one place, you come from another place. Like, do you guys meet working together or was it something like you were from the hospitality industry? No, nah, we have a friend in common, a guy named uh, Dane Nakamura. And uh, I was producing a, a, run, a rum event. And uh, this is when I worked um, at Agio, for Brian Voltaggio. And uh, he was like, you know what? I know a guy. You should meet him. It's the guy's name's Aaron Joseph. And uh, I met Aaron, and it was uh, basically on Rum Talk, right? So... I was like, hey, man, got this event we're doing uh, called the uh, the Getaway. And uh, it was myself and CJ that were putting on the event. Actually, CJ was producing the event. I was helping him out. And uh, Aaron being uh, the man about town uh, for Papa's Pilar. And it was like, hey, uh, a guy named Dane said we should meet. So here I am meeting you. So I rolled up on Aaron at his job. And uh, it was like, it's cool. You know, it was all love. Uh, we did the event. He's like, man, this is great. We should do this more often. I'm like, yeah, we should do this more often. So about a week later, I showed up again. I'm like, hey, man, you said we should do this more often. I think we should make a business out of this. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I pretty much ran Aaron down for how long did it take you, Aaron? Three months, four months? Uh, yeah, about three, three and a half months. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally. I was a little persistent. And I was like, yo, we should make a business. And uh, and that's what we did. And that's how we, um, we kind of started Kane Collective. And it was literally, you know. So couple dudes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, surrounding a passion for rum and uh, creating experiences. One of the things that Aaron and I both have in common is that um, we both love uh, curating experiences and uh, executing those. And uh, we both had a passion for hospitality and service um, and telling a story while you're doing that. I think that's one of the things that we connected on. Um, so there is rum or a, um, a beverage experience um, and we just wanted there to be more dope stuff for people to do and experience, really. I mean, that's it. It's like, I like dope stuff. So do you. I think other people will, too. You know, let's, let's see what we could do. Yeah, uh, what Ezra won't tell you is he showed up with a notepad and pen every time, trying to take notes on every conversation we had. And I felt like, I felt like at times... I was being recorded as like an interview. <laughs> and then other times I didn't know what to say because he was literally writing everything I was saying as an idea or <laughs> thought. And I was like, Man, is he going to go back and like report this to my boss? And like, I'm going to be in trouble. Like, I don't know. But um, no, we, we recognized that we definitely had an affinity for hospitality and we wanted to curate experiences and not only curate experiences in general, but curate experiences that we were passionate about. And I think that's where our common ground kind of started. Uh, we were definitely passionate about hospitality. We were definitely passionate about curating unique experiences, but also kind of educating and shaping the way people kind of experience events from our perspective. Um, and that's kind of where the, the foundation, uh, where Kane started from. Uh, we roped in CJ um, because CJ basically is the culture of the Caribbean in our in our group um so he had a he had a huge huge insight on just the cultural aspect of rum and the caribbean aspect that we were trying to attain and so 
through uh, our passion for curating experiences, our knowledge of product, and um, just basically the opportunity that was lacking here in Baltimore. And, and CJ having a, a stronghold on the culture, we felt like we could bring a unique offering to the city. And that's King. So, so the business side of things, I mean, where do you, where do you start? Like, I mean, this sounds amazing. I'm newer, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do you even start with capital? Where do you even go with, I'm going to do this at this plant? Like, I mean, is there a guide? Was there a mentor for you guys to give uh, you guys, like, a somewhere to go? Like, right, this is where we should start. This is where we can go. Or was it kind of like a trial by fire, learning everything, going through this process? Man, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of where I should start. <laughs> can I start. take this one, Ezra? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> um, for so here's the thing um for us we've we've got such great response from community driven individuals around us and i'm very 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 fortunate to have a number of insightful and, and um well-seasoned um individuals that have been a part of the hospitality community for years and years and years beyond my years and so when you start looking at branching out you start looking at what people are doing and what they are doing successfully, what people are doing wrong and how not to emulate that or replicate that. But then also, you know, you kind of got to take that blind step of faith. Um, and that was the hardest part for, I think, me was coming from a corporate structure, coming from uh, an environment where I knew I had a clock in time. I knew the ship was over at this time. Um, I had leadership responsibilities as well. But, you know, yeah, I had benefits and, you know, things were really structured. So it was just a matter of just maintaining as opposed to, oh, wait, there's not a path here anymore. And, you know, there's 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 weeds and traps and things going on. And there's so many things that could go wrong. And what it ends up doing is um, so we have I surrounded myself with some great partners. And Ezra and CJ actually are great partners in the aspect that, that like, we won't do anything to put ourselves and the other people around us in a disadvantage to be unsuccessful. Um, and I think that's the, the number one thing that um, I want to say when joining a partnership or stepping out on a blind faith is make sure your partners have your back and you are on the same page as moving forward. Um, so for that, I'm very, very, very fortunate to have uh, some partners that, you know, we all kind of saw the same vision and didn't go rogue or didn't go left or right with it. Um, and then two, just to ask, ask all the questions of people that have done it before you or doing it now. And, um, and that's it. And we just, we just kind of really just took that, like that, that faith, that faithful blind step and Fortunately, it was on solid ground and we just kept taking steps. Now, did you guys, when did you realize, like, all right, I'm going to, did you quit, keep your nine to five corporate jobs or did you guys get regular jobs or did you guys get just part time when it first kicked off? Like, how did you guys maintain yourself? I mean, I know some, Aaron, we jump in it. Just, yeah, we, we've, we've done all the above. Aaron, but, but, <laughs> yeah, we've had we, we, a main job and a business. We've had main job. <laughs> And a side job in a business, uh, two side jobs. Uh, so we've, 
until now, well, not really now, but pretty much the majority of the time I've had uh, full-time, half to almost full-time hours on the business and a full-time job uh, this whole time. So uh, Aaron's a little different. Um, Aaron has uh, a couple contracts, um, but yeah, it's um, it's 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 been a hustle <laughs> to say say the least. Now, when we, when we say we wanted to take the Caribbean culture, we meant that. So you know, of course, in the Caribbean culture, you got thirteen jobs, man. <laughs> so you got you got to take you got to take every job yeah. and every opportunity yeah. you can. Um, so yes, I went from having a corporate being the lead bartender at the four seasons while working on this event side. And then when I left there, I went to the brand side of alcohol. So representing uh, not only pop, uh, rum brand, but a number of other brands in a consultation aspect while still maintaining the business and the events. And then at some point went back to behind the bar, being a beverage director, maintaining the events and maintaining the, the, um, the brand aspect as well and so finally it was just like i hate to say it right now this is the very first time i can honestly say i am fully concentrated on one thing uh with a little bit of uh intermittent business here and there but this is the first time in a very long time that i can say like this is my one thing yeah or my I, primary thing yeah i just left my full-time job uh at the uh the pendry so I'm fully committed to uh, <laughs> Kane Collective. You know, you know the question's going to come now. <clears throat> you guys got to, okay, I'm going to give people a little background. You got one guy at the Four Seasons, okay? One guy at the Pendry that is smoking, okay? Pendry's off the hook in Baltimore. One of the best places to go, drink, good, good atmosphere. I've been to one out in San Diego. I see that's on a different level. But... Why would you guys risk it all? I feel like, like it's because it, it's the passion. Like, is there was there fear in the heart? You're like, I'm about to leave this nine to five that I know I'm about to get a check every single week, and now the unknown's about to hit me. That fear, the like, what did it did it creep in your mind? I mean, you guys had both amazing gigs, and high 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 big time clientele is coming there spending money. They're gonna spend money, so. What what was that 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 feeling when you're like, I'll put my two week notice in? I, like like it was kind of like you did you pray on it? Did you did you call people up and say you know? I mean I mean I'm just trying to walk us people who want to be entrepreneurs to understand what the mindset when you do something like this. I want the real truth. This is not no no cookie cutter episode. This is just I went. Uh, I'm still I'm I'm still nervous. <laughs> to be honest, I am. Um, while I'm an entrepreneur, you know, while this is probably my third business, I would say, um, you know, I've always had another job. I've always had a main source of income. Mm -hmm. And it got to a point where, you know, there's only so many hours a day. I'm not in my twenties anymore. So that whole sleep until you're dead, you know, sleep when you're dead thing is, is, is real cute to say, you know, when you, uh, you know, when you're a rock star or, uh, you know, you actually, worrying about heart palpitations, you know, because you literally work 18 hours a day, every day. Um, but uh, it was really a matter of focus and attention and got to a point where 
we can grow, but we'll never be able to grow dynamically um, unless we spend more time and focus and put the energy into one place. So it's hard. It's a hard question. It's a hard thing for every entrepreneur to decide. I mean, and you have to weigh out, you know, responsibilities. You know, I have a mortgage. I got, you know, I have one, two, three children and stuff. You know, my oldest is about to go to college. Um, you know, like I'm not right for my pen for my uh, for my retirement, or I am. Uh, my partner supports this 100%. My partner is on the fence about this. So I mean, it's a different calculation for everybody. Um, for me, I'm not even to say for us. For me, it was really a matter of looking at you know, what do I need to make each month? Like what's my minimum, you know, what my reserves are, what I saved. Uh, and just <clears throat> try to estimate, you know, where we can grow this. And if I redirected energy from one place to another place, what that would look like and how long would I take to receive a return on investment? I mean, really it was just, it, it was a lot of time and it was really a lot of planning. And uh, I would encourage anyone that's thinking about taking, um, their business that they're doing. And sometimes you got to ask yourself, is it like a hobby that makes this money or is it a business, you know? Um, and it's saying, hey, is this something I'm going to do full time and commit to? Or is this something I could just rethink about my time, make more time in my day, still focus on growing that uh, and still have the safety net and security uh, working for someone else? Because when no one tells you as you're an entrepreneur, you can find out a way to make money, right? It's not that hard. But to make real money is not so easy. And no one really tells you that, you know? Like, I don't know. They just like sell you. It's like, oh, yeah, have a dream. Focus on it. Passion, intent, do what you love. And then, you know, it's like magic happens. And then everything works out, right? It's not the way it works. <laughs> Aaron? Yeah. Honestly, for me, it was, it was a series of events that just kind of just cascaded into where I am right now. Um, the Four Seasons and I uh, left on amical terms, um, but they were going in a direction and I was going, I felt like I wanted to take my career in another direction. So that was one, that was how that uh, ended. And then um, honestly, I just, I was exhausted, like putting in 65, 70 hours a week, trying to start a business and um, just kind of didn't know what was next. For myself and I was like well you know I have this part-time stuff going on so maybe my part-time let me make my part-time my full-time and see where that lands me and did the full-time uh thing for almost a year and was like I still love being behind the bar so there was opportunity to get back behind the bar in a elevated role so I took that opportunity and still kept so pulled back on the full-time to make it back to part-time got a new a full-time the full-time was full-time and a half and then after like nine months of that I burned myself out again and then backed out of that um and then um went back to the brand stuff and then um Ezra was very persistent about you know trying to make this this event thing um happen and we hustled all of 2019, like we hustled, like we hustled. We had something going on at least three or four times a month. And in the events world, that's busy. And they weren't small. Um, and then 2020 started lining up and like we were getting calls in November, booking stuff in June. 
And we started looking at the calendar for 2020 and we looked at it and I was like, Oh wow, this is going to be, this is going to be our biggest year. And at the time I was still juggling two brand jobs and still trying to do this. And it really just felt like we were rats on a wheel. Like, honestly, Aaron, and I'll just tell you the truth. And I tell us this too. And it's like, we were always chasing the check, but we never really were doing anything purpose. And so like we had money in our pockets, but there was just never any groundwork, never really, really any foundation. It felt like, like we were catching jobs one after another. And that was great. But like, what were we really, really doing? And so when the, um, the transition between events to nothing happened uh, due to COVID um, um, times in March, you know, um, we kind of took that opportunity to just kind of reassess and actually like say, all right, well, why not? You know, we took another blind step. And um, honestly, it was a very, very humbling start. And it's still a humbling to this day because I mean, I gotta say the community around us, um, it was kind of like weird. The community around us has embraced us, put us on their back, enhanced us, grew us, but all, not only that, but like they have just enlightened us as well. And we had no idea. It was kind of like a culmination of all the things you, you have been through in your entire life came to this one point. And all of those tricks and those trades and those skills that you've learned over the entire time of your professional career came to effect this one time. And I look at it now and I'm like, I don't know when this ever happens, but it was like an aha moment for me. And I was like, okay, so I'm using everything and every skill that I've ever had to learn throughout my professional hospitality career. And I'm using it right now to get and do something for myself. I was like, I'm all in. So, okay, you- I'm all in. We're running, making, running, making money, the business aspect of it. I'm talking about like the straight, the profit and loss sheet, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. 2020 give you guys some time to look at that stuff on, on the business side of things. I know you guys are making the mixers, but are you sitting down like, all right, this is what we have to do. This is the game plan. Instead of just running, running, you have to, because I remember seeing every freaking event, every on Facebook. And I'm like, first I was like, who are these guys? That's all. That was my first question. <clears throat> I'm like, okay, these guys are doing some things. I'm, I'm like, all right, all right, they, they, they must be all right then. So let me find out a little bit more about these brothers. And I went to an event and, um, I don't want to say her name wrong. Ar Arlene. Arlene. She said, yep. she knew who I was. We knew. And she was like, Aaron, you got to talk to these guys, man. We And it's funny because just before all this was crazy happening, she was like, let's set up a time. We all sit down, have drinks, and do a podcast together. And taste the mixers and, and just mix them up and just have a good conversation. And I was like, that's dope. That's real dope. That's what you want to do. Because before all this happened, I had talked to the beer vendors from all like all the breweries around. And I was going to go around filming, just talking, and drinking, and talk about the different taste of flavors of beer and all that stuff. And when she said that again, I was like, <clears throat> let's do it. But again, COVID hit, 2020 hit. But again, getting back to y'all guys, you guys, the business end of it. I know it's, it's a lot of work. You guys are smart guys. But when did you guys sit down? Like, all right, we're working too hard on this end. Let's, let, let's achieve this goal on this end. 
Like, when did you guys sit down and say, did 2020 help you do that? Or do you think if 2020 didn't happen, you guys have been still rolling, not really just like, was not thinking out strategically how things are going? <clears throat> like, I know 2020 you- didn't happen. I think we'd have been still in response mode. Um, or the planning would have taken a bit longer. You know, it was always like, all right, let's adjust our direction. Let's focus more on these types of things. These are more aligned with our brand. These aren't. How do we tell our brand story? Um, but 2020, and we'll call it like the great pause, really kind of just kind of like <laughs> got us a chance to like, it's like, well, nothing else is happening. And basically we have a whole, you know, our, our businesses, our trade is around making things happen, right? So nothing was happening. There were no events happening. There was, there was nothing to do, but really just sit there and think and kind of adjust. And this plan that we had, I mean, this was, a, a, we were always interested in creating a product line and releasing a product line. Um, this product that we had just kind of provided the perfect opportunity for that. And then with the product, I mean, it brings its own set of challenges, right? And resource management and logistics and capital requirements and like, you know, all kinds of, all sorts of things. So in licensing. So this, I don't know, the, the pivot kind of uh, allowed us um, the time really to kind of adjust, reconfigure and uh, to move forward. Yeah, I mean, yeah, without 2020, I think we still would have been like in catch mode. I mean, definitely it would have been, it would have been hustle, hustle for nothing. Um, kind of like, why am I wearing myself out? What am I, what are we really doing? What is, what are we, what is our true goal? You know, I mean, it made us refocus of kind of like our vision and mission statements and kind of, we actually, um, when we started talking about this and realized that the mixer line was actually something that was sustainable. Um, we kind of sat down and talked about it and we kind of developed like a three prong tier system of what King Collective should be. And so from that aspect, you know, we're looking at all future endeavors now and we now have a category to place everything in. And so now it's like, okay, this is coming up, that belongs here. This is how we'll attack it. And this is how we'll execute it. Uh, this is this and when this expression ends because of seasonality, we need this expression to happen but this time. And um, yeah, it just made you just refocus. It gave you hindsight and then it also gave you foresight about you know the way this market is. And if there's one consistent thing we've learned over these last 11 months is there is always going to be a change. There's nothing consistent ever, <laughs> ever. Um, but our goal is to maintain some type of fluidity to where we can adjust and pivot. And I think that's the big word everybody's used over COVID times is pivot, pivot, pivot. But I think it means like you have to be a little bit flexible and you can't be as rigid, but also you still have to have some foresight to kind of take multiple visions and still see how to execute them in, uh, in multiple ways. And that's kind of what 2020 did for me is give me like a broad hindsight of different ways. So it's like, not only do you have to have a plan A now, you have to have a plan A, B, C, C-1, C-2, and C-3. So 
Yeah. No, I like that. I like that you guys giving us a peeking behind the curtain of your business. I love it. I love that you're walking us through this because a lot of people ask a lot, a lot of questions. About, I got a lot of friends who want to be entrepreneurs every damn day, but they don't understand the work that goes behind it. It's a lot of work that people don't see. Man. It's an end product. Which, you love. Think about it. It's, it's always but you, bottles, you know what I mean? Like, oh, damn, this bottle. You got to do it for. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No. <laughs> No, I think I think what like like both Ezra and I like knew going into this is that it wasn't going to be glorious. Like we already knew that. Like we, you know, Ezra, Ezra and I, I'm, we've all seen some success in print and press and acknowledgement and awards and things of that nature. And so, you know, with put those aside, you know, you're still left with the person within, and you still got to look at yourself in the mirror, and at the end of the day you got to look at yourself and say did i do everything i could have to be successful today and if you can't um you got to change that or just stop doing what you're doing because that uh that reflective aspect of um entrepreneurship a lot of people get misconstrued and at the end of the day it's you and it's you and only you or the people you are in business with. And at the end of the day, are you doing the best you can to make that business as successful as you want it to be? Um, and that's that's the reflection that, you know, when we started this whole thing is that's what I looked at every day and every night when I got two and three hours of sleep, you know, what are we doing this for? And like, it's, it's so reaffirming to have that answer now. You know, you have that, to wake up and like be excited again that you're actually working for yourself but it's work and if I don't get up this work is not going to get done and that's the motivation is the the growth uh the motivation for me was it's just the growth grow it as big or as successful as it can be and give it and maximize its potential you know and if it doesn't work guess what but it doesn't work, but it's not because of lack of effort. I know. <clears throat> Azra, did you want to say anything? Or... No, I think Aaron pretty much hit most of it on. I pretty much hit it on the head. I mean, like, I would tell anyone that has an idea, um, just, just put it out there and just start. Um, and how you foster and how you grow that idea um, and how you test it out, um, I think is something that I think a lot of folks didn't do before. You know, it's interesting, like, you know, I'm, I, again, you know, I'm not, I'm not in my twenties anymore. And, you know, at first I was like, I'm gonna be a businessman. Um, it was like, you gotta do this, you gotta have a business plan. And like, it was like this system way to do it. And um, and all those lessons uh, were true and they're accurate and they're, value, they're valuable. Um, but things are a lot leaner now. So I would say for folks to just kind of like, just do it, put it out there, do it in a way that's manageable, test it, break it, and do it again. And, um, you know, really, I mean, the only one that's gonna make it work is you. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a real testament. It's like, oh, I'm failing. Hmm. Right, I'm failing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That the world isn't conspiring, conspiring against me. And like, look, you're gonna run into obstacles. I mean, that's the nature of the beast, right? Um, but just to kind of like, just start trying to string things together, put one foot in front of the other, 
and then the other. And then I was like, oh, I got three steps in. Can I do four? Can I do five? I fell on the fifth one. All right, well, let me adjust my gait, you know? And I think doing things in that way makes, I don't know, bringing your dreams to fruition a little bit uh, more reasonable and easier. And then from there, it's like, you know, everything else Aaron said too, is just really about like perseverance and being willing to um, stop, reflect, adjust, and move forward again. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's literally just drinking, you know, one, two, three small successes together and kind of going from there. I always admire people that were like, you know, I drove a cab for 20 years and then I bought a grocery store and, you know, and I work X amount of hours a week, but I made it work. And you're like, that's amazing. Like, how'd you do it? It wasn't magic. It wasn't some secret loan. You know, I remember growing up here and I was like, oh yeah, these people get like these secret loans and stuff. And it's so easy. I was like, is it easy? Is it really easy? And then you go to find out that it was just folks just kind of like grinded, you know, and um, they were uh, present uh, every day um, and every moment. And they literally just strung small successes together and went from there. Well, you, you brought up the next, my next question then. You, you brought it up. Loans, banks. I mean, did you have to go to a bank? And being, if you did, being three, two, three black businessmen walking into a bank asking for money. Did you, I mean, you might not have done that, but I mean, I know from speaking to my previous people that were on the show, they had some issues. They, they, they had some issues getting money from the bank to be a small business. And, um, did you guys encounter that at all? So I think, you know, capital, you know, and access to that's always tricky, right? Like before you even get to be a mic, before you even get to be a small business, you're like a micro business, you're a micro enterprise. And it's like, you're at the friends and family stage. So if your friends and family don't have money to lend you, um, you know, it's kind of tricky. Fortunate for us, we were like a hybrid service product business. We had a little bit of cash reserves and were able to, again, friends and family, you know, friends reached out like, hey, I got this whole restaurant sitting here. I'm not making any money. You want to work in my kitchen? Sure. Um, and, you know, and uh, we were fortunate that we had those those resources um, that we were able to uh, utilize. Um, but really, we were like self-funded. I mean, Hence why, you know, everyone had two and three and four jobs, you know, the whole time uh, before Aaron and I started to work uh, together on this. Um, I was doing, uh, I guess, like concierge uh, services. Uh, so I had some equipment. I had some cash. We, we had a couple of things. Um, and then we rolled that into Kane and we rolled what we're doing in Kane, uh, what we did on the service side uh, into the product side. So, you know, experience. Um, we were fortunate enough for, uh, you know, friends in the business to kind of reach out to us and be gracious in us and to, uh, allow us their space. Um, and then, you know, technical expertise and knowledge, like, uh, Hey, I have this problem. Can you help me figure it out? And, you know, we have to spend, you know, 150, $300 an hour on a, on a consultant to kind of fix something, um, for, you know, a small hiccup that we had, um, but yeah, so human capital and a little bit of money uh, was kind of like how we started. 
we we haven't gotten to the point that we uh, we we've definitely gone into an institution and uh, asked for a loan amount. Um, we run a pretty tight, and when I say lean, I mean very very lean operation that we try to be very efficient with our expenditures, uh, um, and then also our supplies. Um, the fact that we bottle every week allows us to have that opportunity. So that being said, um, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, we were very fortunate to do. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we just haven't had that opportunity to walk into um, an institution and say, I need money, um, we're doing this. And can you please give it to us? Because, but believe me, I have friends that have taken that road and they've alerted me of a lot of obstacles mm. that they have um, encountered, especially during this time. And um, it's just, you know, I think our business model right now suits us and allows us to kind of focus on other things. Um, and I think once we get to that point, we'll, we'll be hopefully better equipped in a monetary and capital aspect to approach something like that to where we learn lessons of others before our time. So. No, that's, that's awesome to hear that you guys have gone through that and having family members, <clears throat> friends, and giving those opportunities because not everybody is lucky to have those opportunities. So that's great that you guys are able to use those opportunities you know, get off the ground and having those resources and whatnot of, hey, I have a kitchen. Hey, I have this. That's a credit to you guys of having those type of individuals around you and the connections you've made business, you know, about the industry. You guys are both connected to the business and the industry, so that, that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's again, it's a humbling experience, Aaron, and then, like, honestly, and then, um, at, at at any point, somebody could have definitely, you know, called out the favor, but the community around us definitely embraced us. And we literally would not be here without that community. So um, to say that we are very successful and stuff and aspects that like, you know, we're, we're, we're everywhere. It's not because of exactly who we are, but it's, it's particularly about the community that has embraced us and enhanced us. So, so we're very, very, very fortunate in that aspect. So, I like that. I like so, all right, folks, and we'll be right back after these messages. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harford Road, open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m., or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com, and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. What flavors did you guys have that you first came out selling the bottle? Um, honestly, 
Um, Ezra screensaver right now, so tell us exactly what that is. Um, we started off with three expressions. We started off with our guava tiki punch, um, our our cane south side, and our tropical orchard. Um, and we felt like all three of those offered something unique and creative to the mixer game, but also had their own place and were very adaptable in multiple uses. And you know, we launched in March. So they all had seasonality to them as well. And from there, we decided that that was going to be, that was what we we're going to roll with and see how they were going to go. And then as things progressed, we knew we wanted to do something to kind of keep a fresh eye, but also incorporate the seasonal aspect of craft mixers. And so what we anticipated doing was incorporating a seasonal basically a seasonal aspect every month or every two months just to kind of enhance because we're using fresh product. So why not use product that actually is in season? So, um, so yeah, we started off with those three. And um, since we're talking about Black History Month, um, the, the Kane Southside is kind of a homage to two very, very influential African-American bartenders in the, the city of Baltimore, uh, Mr. Lee and Mr. Andy. Um, two highly, highly accolade acknowledged um, bartenders in the, within the community that um, basically battled it out for who had the best Southside mix. And there's, to this day, there are still some people that prefer one to the other. But we looked at both of those and God, uh, God rest both of their souls. They're no longer with us. Um, but just because they're not with us doesn't mean we can't remember them. Um, and so when we started coming out with our flavor profiles, I mean, I had a conscious effort to, I wanted to pay a little bit of tribute to those guys. So we threw our hat as far as the South side mix to not only um, pay homage to the city and the community that we were launching our mixers in, but to also pay a little bit of homage to those two gentlemen, creating the opportunity for two African-American gentlemen to pursue a dream in mixers because they were doing it 30 years ago. And so definitely wanted to get, get that aspect out there as well. Oh, you're you dropping jewels right now. You're dropping some I didn't even know about. Damn. Yeah. I was, I was in here Googling like, oh. oh. It's like, Andy. It's Andy. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I love that, man. Um, For Black History Month, I mean, I know, we, I know it's not in the questions that I asked, but what does it mean to you guys as being black businessmen in Baltimore, just in the United States regardless? And are doing a successful job and doing a great job out here, having the community support. How does it feel being a black business owner and you're doing really, you're doing pretty good. You're doing really well. And the cities of the communities embraced you. Like, how do you feel about that? Just, just, you know, just cause you have a business, you know, you're, you're thriving. How do you guys feel about that? Just, business? you know, <clears throat> I'm going to take a, uh, a different tack to that question. So as a person of color and as a hospitality professional, um, I'm kind of honored to be within, um, I don't know, I'm kind of honored to be within the space of so many kind of great barmen that were also in hospitality. And, you know, after, I guess, you know, post-Civil War, you know, and even Jim Crow era, you know, 
black, folks of color that were in hospitality, I mean, they weren't necessarily considered good jobs. And um, there's a lot of innovation and there's a lot of advancement um, within that. So, um, you know, there was some great folks that, you know, from creating the mint julep um, to uh, actually Aaron uh, Sidebar, actually, uh, he is quite the amateur historian, wrote the forward to the book, uh, Marilyn uh, Forgotten uh, Cocktails. Um, has actually done like a lot of yeah. research subject. We'll probably uh, speak uh, at length about that, um, about our uh, our impact uh, on the hospitality community. Uh, but I think it's pretty cool, man. I think you asked me how does it feel. I think it feels great. Uh, it feels great to kind of have an idea and um, to kind of bring it to fruition in life. Uh, to do that as a person of color, I think that's amazing. And to do that within hospitality, which is a passion of mine for so long, I think is pretty dope too. You know, forever I was like, oh, you know, when I use this degree or when I get a real job, when I get a real job, but a real job. And uh, maybe like 10 years ago, um, I was like, you know what? I, I love my industry and I, I love this space. And uh, this is a real job. And I decided to really kind of embrace hospitality, not as a job, but as a career. Um, it's, it's exciting to have that career um, bloom into something, bloom into this. Um, so it's really cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm grateful for those who share their wisdom. Uh, I'm grateful for, uh, you know, our ancestors who uh, kind of, uh, you know, paved the way. And uh, grateful for those uh, who are here now in this space, um, the OGs, um, who said, hey, uh, try doing things this way, not that way, who've been uh, so gracious with their time and their energy. Everything he said. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, man, Aaron, you, you punching, you punching big, 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 big questions. He's asking man. the good uh, questions, right? Yes, he's like, like this is, these questions got meat to them, man. You know, like this is not no snack question. Oh, this, <laughs> we, because we really want to celebrate you guys. And that's why I'm asking these questions. Because I want to celebrate you guys. My audience is a big audience from Maryland to New York. You know, Philly, DC, California, and I and I want to celebrate you guys. And this oh, is how I want to make sure I celebrate what you guys are doing. That's why I gotta ask man. I gotta uh, ask the questions because I'm meat on the bone, as they said. Don't leave no problem, man. If I would have known this question was coming, I might have got some sleep last night. Uh, so that I could actually think that um honestly, it's so many things that have happened in the last 12 months, but before that. There's many things that there's many aspects of that question that have influenced me now, but even past it. Um, you know, we talk about this expression amongst uh, African Americans in the hospitality community, and at the same comes comes back is we fought to get out of the hospitality a aspect of our workforce. Um, but ironically, we're fighting to get back in. And, you know, that, that saying kind of speaks volumes because you think about it, you know, before there was a, a glorified hospitality career option, you know, it, was, it wasn't an option. It was the only option for a lot of our ancestors mm -hmm. and people uh, before our times that this was the only option. And... And you got to think about the, the the resilience of the workforce and of our our culture as African American cultures because 
as the only way we still took pride in that aspect. And you look at the aspect of hospitality and bartenders and servers and cooks and the influence we have had over such, such a tremendous community in the United States of America. And we still have that influence, but now because it has been glorified so much now and you have these high profile chefs, now it's like, oh, well, how come there aren't many brown faces in these spaces anymore? Right. And there there are and there is an increasing amount of individuals that are extremely talented. But what, what stands out to me is the resilience of our um, community and the fact that so many before us took so much pride in such dedication to the craft um, that I feel like I owe it not only to myself, but to their efforts before me to continue to give this business and the hospitality community my best foot at all times because they have made so many sacrifices for me to even have this opportunity to be an entrepreneur, independent black uh, business. And, um, you know, I, it, it's, it's a huge, it's, a huge honor but it's also a humbling past right and so like Ezra alluded to too there is tons tons of uh african-american prominent bartenders that were highly successful that never really got their full acknowledgement and now we're starting to learn of like classic cocktails that they've created and abundance of privilege that they bestowed onto not only themselves but to their um, future generations ahead. Um, you know, we had we have the first, the first. There was a Tom Bullock who was the first African American to write a cocktail book. You know, was out of D.C. So you know, the lineage is right, literally in our backyard. So, um, and then you got people like Dick Francis who kind of like made it, went up to New York and just kind of did it, opened up his own uh, bar and was very highly successful and very prominent. And uh, look at those those examples behind us. And, you know, I feel like I'm just just <laughs> a humble, humble, humble pawn right now, and uh, just trying to just trying to hold it up. Yeah. And these folks were business owners too. Like they were business owners, they were landowners, they were authors. Um, they supported, you know, their family. They supported uh, extensions of their family as well too. So I don't know, celebrating Black History Month and celebrating Black business in uh, this time, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be within, um, kind of, I'm proud to follow in the steps of uh, some of these, uh, some of these giants of um, this industry, which I, you know, was well, gracious. I just realized, I didn't learn, I learned this probably a couple of years ago, and you guys probably knew it better than I will, that a Black man was the first guy to for the Jack Daniels distillery. And there was like a, some, yeah. and I, I didn't know about that. And there was another type of whiskey. I was with a whole bunch of brothers. And they were like, here's this whiskey right here. This is the whiskey man. And like, this is the same day, just like Jack Daniels. And I was like, wow, really? You know, I always thought like, yeah. black guy doing Daniels? Like, I, I never knew that. And I wonder why yeah. we don't know about these kind of things. Well, not- well nearest, yeah, nearest green was, was the the actual person that actually helped J- 
Jack Daniels refined the distilling process. Uh, process. But what people don't realize is distillation actually came from its, uh, there's distillation was carried over in slave ships from West Africa because there's evidence in West African uh, countries that they were distilling then where sugarcane was prominent and other grains. So not, they took that trade and kind of brought it over with them during uh, colonial times. And um, they've kind of brought that craft over here. And it would be really interesting to dig deeper to see how much of a distillation influence that slaves and African-Americans have had over the course of history. I mean, we know their, we know, we know their contributions to the rum category. And I think that's another aspect that uh, Ezra and I love about the, um, the category of rum is the heritage behind what rum is in their contributions in that aspect too. But yet there's always a dirty past, you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff. And, you know, you can't have the good without the bad but you got to acknowledge that. So, um, but to fast forward to now, it's like, you know, the torch is kind of in Africa and we're going to be judged about what we do with our time and our efforts. And did we keep the torch at least consistent or did we let it go or did we elevate? And I'm at that aspect where we want to take uh, not only myself and some pretty sure Ezra, I can speak for Ezra at this, but we kind of want to elevate Kane to that aspect as well. And that's what it means to us to be like a, a black business right now is the, the, not really the burden, but the honor of enlightening and empowering others around us um, to pay homage to the, the, the traditions that were given to us, but also to elevate our standards and our culture to the point where we can look back and say, wow, we we had a hand in that. All right, rapid fire, fellas, rapid fire. Here we go. Favorite cocktail you like to make with your mixer? What's your favorite cocktail? I, I mean, is it going to be rum or is it going to be something else? I mean, it's got to be rum, right? Okay. Like, that's what we are. Okay. Um, no. What, what, are you, what are you making? What, I guess... Oh man, it's this is two parts because uh, some most people don't realize this, but um, I actually don't drink. Okay. So uh, I don't drink any cocktails, but however, I will make a cocktails for everybody that's sitting around me. <laughs> I I am a great quarterback when it comes to uh, this this alcohol distribution game. So you can just call me the Tom Brady of alcohol, man. I'm just gonna be there to win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think. For me, I think what really sets apart um, our mixers is the ability to pair really well with uh, one of our favorite spirits, it's rum. So our guava tiki punch, um, classic standard, um, paired with a light and dark rum and um, a punch application, I swear, is, uh, is, a, is an experience in a glass. Um, if we're going to go on a non-alcoholic vendor, I take our, um, our south side throw it with a little bit of the ginger beer and a uh, dash of bitters. And it's a really refreshing uh, non-alcoholic beverage as well. Uh, see, I was going to say that Southside mix. So like Aaron said, you know, I we pretty much love everything that we do. Um, if not, we would really, I really wouldn't put it out. Uh, I will say though, I think that Southside is really easy. So the Southside, um, 
it's great with whiskey. Uh, I think it's fantastic with uh, rum. Uh, clearly, it's good with vodka. Um, and I like to only mix it up a little bit. So if I have something kind of funky, um, like if I have a little bit of Pisco or if I have a little bit of Cachaca, just add like a little bar spoon or a little dash. So, you know, um, standard pour of everything else, a little dash of something else. And, you know, you're ready to rock and roll. So uh, I think that Southside is very fun to play with and to layer on to. I'm going to have to go to the south side when I get out of here. When I, when the, I'm going to go to, I'm gonna have to go south of the border down in Canton go get it. We ain't, ain't going to talk. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I got you, man. I know, I know I got you. I know, I know I got you. I know I got you. I call. No. But Ezra, let me ask you this. The, what mixer would you choose to make an intricate, elaborative cocktail for somebody that is a cocktail connoisseur? You know, it's funny. I would say the South Side again, because I think it is a baseline. You know what I mean? So like, you know, I mean, cocktails ain't like really rocket science, right? It's booze, it's sugar, it's booze, Water. sugar, and it's acid. You know what I mean? Whether it's, right. I don't know, you got something crazy or you're just doing, um, you know, regular citrus, you know, lemon or lime juice. Um, and it's whatever kind of sugar you decide. So whether it's agave, whether it's white granulated, whether it's demerara, turbinado, coconut, palm sugar, um, you know, whatever it is. So the south side is just so refreshing and so easy. Uh, and then you can just play with your ratios too. So I like three parts south side mix to one part spirit. Um, but then I'll add, an, uh, I think, a bar spoon. And I think it's something that's very underrated uh, when making cocktails and cocktails at home. So a little dash or something goes a long way. So whether I mentioned before, um, Avoa Cachaca has this umbrada, right? And it's basically, it's a cane to still stir it. Um, and it's this uh, specific type of wood. It's funky and adds all these different kind of complexities to it. I think something like that is pretty dope. Um, something I love, which I don't think a lot of people use enough of, I think is absinthe and I don't, or pastis. And I don't mean like a ton of it either. I mean, just again, a bar spoon, maybe torch, kind of wash to rinse the glass with. I think it adds a whole layer and complexity to things too. So I think the south side mix, man, it's just like, it's easy, it's refreshing, and it's simple. And you know what's great for it too? You know, my daughter has like little, you know, mocktail parties and she'll make her own soda it's refreshing. So sometimes you just want more than iced tea in a glass. Um, so I like the south side. I think it's, I think it's fun. Um, yeah. I like that. I like that. <clears throat> what do you guys do when you're not working? Sleep. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I feel like I feel like I feel like the song. I, I always feel like somebody's watching me. <laughs> um, man, I don't. I don't know. Like, wow. That's that's. Can I get that? Can I get that a thought? Can we move to the next question and like come back to that? Because honestly, I'm 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 still a sports fanatic, so I'm glad like sports in a runs like four or five times from 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. so I can catch some highlights. Um, honestly, man, uh, I find I find the little things right now calming. So like simple things like going for a walk, long drives, um, maybe listening to great music. Um, I went down the TikTok rabbit hole recently and I am totally, totally upset with myself right now. But that's actually a thing now. Um, I will get, I will regain my strength and come back to society sooner than later. 
So I'm looking forward to that. So um, other than that, and um, I think I think right now we're just we're very fortunate for any time that we can have to just kind of do something other than concentrate on the business. Flat or drums or chicken wings? Flats or drums? Drums. Flats. Oh wow! Blue cheese or ranch? Ranch. Blue. Ranch. Huh? I don't know about you in that ranch. I don't know. Come on, man. <laughs> All right, what kind of ranch though? What that like? Let's 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 be let's be specific on the ranch though. Like there's there's like the Hidden Valley Water Down Ranch. But like, a milk ranch like, is kind of tight. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. But like I've had some ranch that it's like it's ranch, like, but it's not really ranch. It's like fat free ranch, <laughs> and that's even worse. So. <laughs> All right, fine, both, both, fine, final answer, both. Brunch, brunch or dinner? Brunch. Where's your favorite place to go to for brunch? Man, you know, can I tell well, you? you I think low key, my uh, the last place I worked at, uh, the Pendry, I think their brunch was outstanding. Um, the ricotta pancakes were just out of this world. And now that I don't work anymore, I'm excited to go back there and enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a dinner guy. I'm a dinner guy. Got you. Dinner guy. If you had a place to go to dinner, where would you go? If you had, if you had, if you had time right now to go grab dinner right now, had time, where would you go right now? Like, are we talking about 60-minute COVID dinner or are we talking about, like, pre-COVID, COVID, like, I can take my time and yeah, pre- eat what I want. Pre-COVID, pre-COVID, you can sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I got to say, right. Rush Street, Rush Street Tavern, and then just knocks it out the park every time. Like every time, like ribs, steak, beet salad. I mean, for me, I've never, never, ever had a bad meal right now. Like, and that's just off the hand. I mean, there's like a hundred restaurants right now that just get it. It's that, and then or Alma Casino. Okay, hands down, those two, those two, interchangeable. What's the best advice you guys have both received? Measure twice, cut once. (laughs) (laughs) A key that opens many locks (laughs) is a special key. (laughs) I love it. Where do you find you guys on social media? Um, You know, I kept mine simple, so it's my last name, not my first name. Uh, it's Alan.Ezra uh, on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and uh, you can find us both at uh, Kane, C-A-N-E underscore collective, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E on uh, Instagram. Aaron Joseph, you want to share your, uh, so people want to slide into your DMs? Uh, you want to share, you share your info? Yeah, my DMs are open from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you if you hit me at 7.01, I do have the right and privilege to revoke any message after 7.01, and I will get back to you next business day. If you hit me on the weekend, sorry for you. Um, <laughs> uh, a- AJZ Joseph on Instagram, Aaron Joseph on the Book of Faces. And uh, I actually have a Twitter account somewhere saying it's Aaron, a.k.a. 
uh, AJZ, aka Aaron. Okay. Uh, somewhere like that. You're not Kane's collective is not on TikTok. I mean, I think that. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh that uh, since uh Aaron is now the uh our subject matter expert in this, he's our SME. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, Kane, he's going to Kane, be developing uh, uh, a uh TikTok uh strategy. <laughs> yeah, gonna, yeah, the um the next the Kane's gonna be on TikTok with uh silhouette and busted baby challenge. Yes, definitely. It's coming, it's coming. It's coming. You're just gonna see outsets of the bottle, and it's just gonna drop and it gets shorter, and then get yeah, <laughs> living live its inner 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 uh, thoughtiness ever. <laughs> Aaron's been practicing his body rolls. <laughs> no, sir. No, I've been developing more, developing more. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's crazy. I love it. That's crazy. Anything uh, save their folks before we sign off. What's up? Anything you want to save their folks before we sign off? Anything you yeah, thank you. Um, I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, thank you for being gracious. Thanks for, I don't know, spending your time and checking us out on our podcast when there's, you know, other things you could be doing. Um, thanks for support and trying us out. You know, thanks for giving us love and shouting us out on, uh, shouting us out on the gram. And, uh, man, you know, we just, you know, we appreciate you. Um, that's, uh, I'd say that for, for, for both of us. Yeah. Um, I've got to reiterate. Um, thank you. And uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you. But also, um, we, we definitely recognize those that have held us down. Uh, you mentioned Arlie, uh, Tia, uh, as two people that kind of just taking us under their wing and we definitely want to show some true support for them um but there's another other visual the cfs organization alma casino as a the entire restaurant family and i mean the list can go on and on and i'm probably going to get in trouble for just naming those without naming everybody else um but know that everybody that has supported us from day one or even recently uh we truly truly appreciate everything that you have given us and allowed us to be a part of your either weekend or everyday activity. We, um, we don't take that for granted. And we do realize that um, you do have an option and we're very, very grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to give ourselves and a piece of our passion to you and you received it so well. So thank you again. Um, but Aaron, Let's. This is this isn't over, bro. We got rapid questions for you, bro. Oh wow! You, you guys had questions for me. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it got serious there for a minute, man. and then like it got really humble, and then it, like it, like I felt like that we were in like like a soap opera right there, man. Like we could have been. We had our own like BET special. Hey, man. You know what I mean? We got to take people through the story, man. Right, but uh, yeah, man, we got some rapid questions for you, bro. Go ahead, like, go you ready? Go ahead, please. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, all right. Um, Ezra, you got you got about to dig in, bro. Hey, Aaron, what's uh, what's your favorite spirit of choice? Close your eyes. First bottle you grabbing is a bottle of back in the day, yeah, the cranberry, the cranberry fizz one you had. What's the one? The cranberry, the holiday one. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yep. I like that. Yeah. But what's uh, your favorite spirit of choice? Like, what do you do? Yeah, like, what alcohol are you mixing with? 
my, my favorite spirit off the top is Don Julio. Don, Don Julio? I love, I love tequila. I like how it's smooth. Uh, I like to sit back, relax, summertime, and do nothing. So, as uh, Thanks for um, this gracious uh, interview that you've, uh, that you've uh, got us on. Uh, we got a whole uh, little Don Julio uh, kind of specialty accompaniment pack. So we got something special for you. Yeah, we got What I would love to do with you guys is summertime. Hopefully we open back up a little bit more. Do a live, mm-hmm. do a live one. Do a live show at one of these places. I love it. I'll yeah, do it. Absolutely. Have, absolutely. Come here and hear you guys' story again and again because it, 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 it doesn't stop here. And I'm happy that we, I made this connection with you fellas. I really do. Hey, man. Again, no, we, we, we appreciate the opportunity. But uh, Aaron, what's your guilty pleasure cocktail, bro? Like the one thing that, you know, you like to drink, but like nobody needs to know about. <laughs> and it could be... It, it could be a fuzzy navel, man. I mean, you know, just you know. <laughs> Manhattan. That's your guilty pleasure. That's your cocktail. guilty pleasure. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't tell people. I, 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 like, <laughs> I, I like I like martinis and stuff like that. I don't tell people that. <laughs> I'm always a, oh, like I really low key on it. But if I'm at some, you know, fancy way, fancy place, I'll get a martini or a Manhattan. I'll get a vodka martini or Manhattan and sit back. But if I'm, right. if I'm out the fellas, I'm probably getting a. Just a regular Miller Lite or something like that. Just you know what I mean. Just hanging out, or I'll get like a vodka and soda or something like that. Okay. All right. Okay. Um. All right, Aaron. One one more for me. I top three undercover places to eat in Baltimore. Oh. Oh. So you know. So you already know where this is going to go because I don't travel past North Avenue anymore. Aaron, let's find out you're an east side guy yeah i'm not gonna go down to south north avenue anymore i mean i don't don't have to anymore but wow you know peter's in i love this one of my favorite one of my favorite spots peter's in that's a good one Mm -hmm. i used to party there all it's funny i used to party across street from there for like five years straight and never knew it was there and (laughs) one day my friend was like you gotta go here i'm like I've partied at this house across the street every night, almost all summer long. So Peter's Inn's one. Maggie's Farm, second. Mm-hmm. Okay. Silver Queen. Silver Queen. Nice. Wow. Wow. Silver Queen. All right. I don't, because, you know, honestly, I took Peter's in there. I, I like going down there when I want to go to South, but, you know, down in Canton, down Fells area. But I don't really need to leave Northeast Baltimore, to be perfectly honest. I think I have everything here. Does not mean if I want a crab, you can go to Coco's. You know, if I want to get brunch, Silver Queen. If I want to go to get brunch, Maggie's Farm. Everything's here. Zeke's, if I want coffee. You know, oh man, I have L- yeah. LVH is right down the street. Tastes is right down the street. Mm-hmm. So I have this. Mm-hmm. I got the soul food here. I got the Jamaican spot on the corner on Bel Air Road in Moravia. So I really don't. Yeah. I really don't need to go too far. Only thing I wish I had up here was King Collective Mixers. We're gonna work on that. That's fired. That's fired. Gonna work on that. Everything, Ezra. Isn't that your? Isn't that your old neighborhood? Sir? It is my old neighborhood. I, I, I got one. I got. I got. I got one prospect. One prospect. Hey man, I'm just oh, saying. One I prospect. I'm not the make my. I have four locations. Since I've been shamed, you know. Since you know, I've been since four locations I, in Ken, brother. Hey, I get, so, I get I've I, been shamed. I get Ken. I get Fells. I get it. I understand. You know, I used to party back there, and I get it. I'm not. Hey, I get it. But uh, you know, 
No, there was a, there's a store on Hartford Road um, that right. was taken over. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was before. Um, 21st Amendment. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I know, I know, I know. yeah. Call them out, Ezra. Let them know. Uh, you gotta let them all right. All right. I'm coming by with samples. So uh, 21st Amendment. Uh, you know, we're coming for you and uh, hope you love us back. So, yeah, no. Um, no, I mean, honestly, Aaron, we, 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 we need. Well, I mean, brother, we got Greenmount, man. So. You know, the, the, you are, you are, you are, you are. Oh, that I mean, you 15 minutes, we can make something happen, bro. Man. We can definitely make something happen. Y'all had me knocking at the door for 20 minutes out there. I was like, God damn, they need to hurry up. Oh, uh, you got you gotta have that special night, bro. <laughs> you have that special night. <laughs> I used to go to a Jamaican restaurant that was right there next to the Oreo bar or it's the Oreo Park bar, whatever it was. And it used to be a Jamaican place down the street, but now it's like a I just drove by the other day. It was like a pharmacy. I was like Damn, things have changed around here, but I get it. I'd, I'd just be glad when all this construction on these streets are done. That's that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Let me let me sign off for these folks because they they, 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 get, they got the raw footage right now. They're getting raw footage. They're getting too much. That's part two. Can't give them too much. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Sorry, sorry, man. Sorry. We can't give them too much because then I got to get y'all back on here for that part two because y'all got my ass on this one. So I'm going to get y'all back. So, folks. Love, peace, happiness, happy Black History Month. We're celebrating these brothers. King Collective, can't go wrong. Ezra Allen, Aaron Joseph, they're here rocking. Please support, please support, support, support. They're doing great things out in the streets, all right, folks? Love, peace, happiness, we're out.